My name's Tom Jennings and this is the 24 Frames cast. And before I begin, I just want you all to know that there is a new episode of the James Bond Marathon on the blog. I've just recently done the license to kill. You can find it at 24framescast.blogspot.com and it's on the exclusive page. Nothing really much else to report, so I'm going to crack on with this episode and I'm going to take a look at Fred Zinnemann's The Search. One of the few joys of lockdown has been working that bit harder to seek out new films to try and expand my film palette. I've mentioned before that it's often nice to go through people's best off lists. For example, Roger Ebert's great film, something which I've really enjoyed doing actually. Most notably because on more than one occasion, I have really failed to see what it is he likes so much about the film in question. And yet, being the great writer he is, I often find his prose don't necessarily change my mind, but actually make me think about the film in a different way, which as far as I'm concerned can only be a good thing. And with cinema shut, I think it's really important for me personally anyway, to really kind of dig deep into the world of film and try and seek out some gems that I might not have been able to have the time and the resources to kind of sit through, trawling through old textbooks that I had from university or watching documentaries about films and compiling a list of my own that I want to get through and see. And whilst I was doing some research for a Master of Cinema podcast episode, I came across Fred Zinnemann's The Search. It's certainly not one of his most well-known films, despite making the cinema debut of Montgomery Cliff, who would of course go on to star in Fred Zinnemann's From Here to Eternity, which... This, by the way, was the first film I ever saw of Zinnemann when I was going through a kind of a mild Frank Sinatra obsession stage. And The Search would actually receive two Oscars, one for Best Story and a special Oscar for the child actor Ivan Yandel. It's a film, though, that had never really found its way onto my radar. The Search is the story of a young boy, Carl, who's played by the aforementioned Yandel, who at the end of World War II has found himself amongst the vast numbers of child orphans whose parents have been killed in the Holocaust. Frightened and alone, Carl finds himself in a UNRRA camp for displaced children when suffering from the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder. He escapes believing the American soldiers want to murder him in the mistaken belief that they are the same as the Nazis. He escapes only to be mistakenly thought as having been killed and is eventually found amongst the rubble when taken in by a young American soldier called Steve, played by Montgomery Cliff, who tries to help the boy and coax him out of his shell and find out where he's come from, if he has family, and if he can't, wants to take Carl back to America with him. Meanwhile, Carl's mother, Hannah, still believes the boy to be alive. Having herself survived the Holocaust, she sets out across Germany to try and find her son. There is a rather refreshing feeling when you watch a film and find yourself being drawn deeper and deeper into its spell. I personally stop fidgeting, my mind doesn't wander to what the football scores might be and you don't reach for the phone to check Twitter or any other such distraction. And this is exactly how I felt when I began to watch the search. It is interesting on so many different levels. 
On the one hand, it is one of the first films ever to be shot partly on location in the still bombed out cities of Germany. It was actually shot in 1947, two years after the war had ended and just before the Cold War had truly gotten underway. And as such, the film occupies a very specific time and place in history. It didn't have the cynicisms or indeed the paranoia that would later come with Hollywood. And given Zimmerman's background, both his parents were actually killed in the Holocaust, it would seem a uniquely personal tale of tragic wish fulfillments and showing a story of a child desperately trying to be reunited with its parents. What you have is a film that blends together many stylistic and story conventions into a humanist tale that manages the rare feat of both being educational and deeply emotional storytelling without ever feeling preachy, superficial or contrived. Many have pointed out the film has a neo-realist feel to it and certainly this is true to an extent. However, I would contest that Zimmerman uses a variety of different genre types to construct the story and indeed such a direct comparison to neorealism films is perhaps not wholly helpful when categorising the search. The term neorealism is problematic. It does not encompass a set of conventions in a way we typically think of a film movement such as Dogma 95, and it doesn't really have a clear beginning of its origins in that it seems to have been a type of film born out of necessity, that necessity being the destruction of Italian film studios during the war which forced filmmakers onto the streets with greatly reduced crew numbers and equipment focused on contemporary stories and issues. In the case of The Search, in most direct comparison to neorealist counterpart would be Rosalini's War Trilogy, Rome, Open City, Paisan, Germany, Year Zero, yet even that is passing at best. Yet that is not to say it isn't reminiscent in some ways. Filming the rubble of Germany gives The Search a deeply melancholic feel, as you see in Germany, Year Zero. In one establishing shot, Zimmerman shows twisted metal and rubble amongst the piles of masonry. Two crosses are sticking up. We can't see the inscription on them, but it's a startling image. The rubble and the destruction and the detritus are analogous of the character states who inhibit this bombed out existence. There's a very clear and very defined difference between the Americans and the Europeans. America was the only country to emerge unscathed from the war. Its mainland never bombed, its cities intact, and it gave birth to an America that has become a bona fide world superpower. The war also sparked an economic recovery, its citizens were well off, and it had grown in confidence. The soldiers in the search reflect this, they are well-dressed, well-spoken, clean-looking, and having gone through com combat have now established as a peacetime army of reconstruction. When Carl first meets Steve, he emerges from the rubble and rags and, st and stalks Steve, who is casually eating a sandwich in a jeep, eyeing his food, desperately hoping it, that he will give him some. Neorealism, in my experience, often makes a very clear distinction between the have and the have-nots. Its protagonists are more often not blue-collar types, and there is a recurrence of child characters, which some critics of the neorealism have said is a kind of emotional shorthand to prey upon audience sympathies. Of that charge, I don't think this is really applicable to the search. It feels more like a reaction to a very real tragedy that was unfolding across Europe and the orphan crisis. The open exchange between Stephen Cole sees their two worlds colliding, the old shattered one and the new, one is scared of the other, yet the humanity and the kindness of Steve is almost immediately shown. There is no pretext to his actions as a central character in the story, we only meet him for the first time after 35 minutes, but it's his impulse of kindness and concern of Carl is reminiscent of the film's residing belief that man's innate ability to want to do good, and this is perfectly juxtaposed with the very real reminders of the terrible past Europe and the world had been through as seen in the film. Hey, come here, come here. 
Pretty sight, aren't you? Boy, you sure got blisters. Where you belong, huh? Wo, wo wohnen Sie? Verstehst du nicht meine gute Deutsch? Obviously not. All right, over there. Move. For the talk of neorealism, the film also has certain documentary traits, in particular the voiceover at the start that I will get to later. But this is still important to remember that Stutch is still very much a Hollywood production and Ergo has the look and feel of one. Although this is his film debut, Cliff is every bit the, the stuff of matinee idol legend. Like a true star, he is gorgeous to look at yet has the acting chops to inhibit the role. He would receive an Academy Award and nomination for his role as Steve and one can certainly see why. Steve feels like a refreshingly cliche-free character. He's not a battle-hardened cynical veteran nor does Carl's entrance into his life bring about a huge profound change. He just seems like a nice person wanting to do a nice deed for a child in need. Indeed there is no wound in Steve's life explaining all this through some cliched backstory as to why he behaves the way he does and never really explains what he is doing. He, he barely even knows what to do with Carl other than try to get the boy to come out of his shell who is constantly terrified about the world around him looking for locked doors, gates and military paraphernalia. Steve occasionally voices his frustration not being able to help the child as much as he can but you never get the impression that Carl is being sanctified or worshipped by Steve. He's just a young man himself who makes models and puts pictures on his wall. Steve never seems overly heroic at either. If he can't find Carl's family, he wants to take him back to America, but this will mean a ton of bureaucracy. We don't get a scene of Steve pleading his case in front of a panel of civil servants or a judge or an immigration officer. The film seems so much more sophisticated for any such cliche. Instead, he just wants to do his best for the boy, and there is a dignified and quite selfless heroism that is given the room to speak for itself. Even his best friend and housemate, Jerry, is not a foil to Steve's plans to try and help the boy. He's just looking out for his mate and wants what's best for everyone. The screenplay has four credits to it. Richard Scheiser, David Wechsler, Montgomery Cliff and Betty Smith. And it's to all their and it's to their credit, especially in the case of Steve, that have created such an endearing and likable character. You believe Steve, and of course it's helped by the subtlety of Cliff's performance. And it just should be noted as well, this is a performance that a young Clint Eastwood said was hugely instrumental in his journey as an actor. And films like this live and die on the performances of the children, and Ivan Yandel's Carl is superb. So many child actors' performances can veer into the annoying the sickly or worse, the child that spouts wisdom to educate the adults. But you just feel more than just pity for Carl, somehow in the screenplay. But you feel more than just pity for Carl. The screenplay in Zinnemann and Yandel manage to make him more than just a cipher or a more representational figure. You feel the pain in the child, the, the confusion and the loss of innocence, which come the film's conclusion, pays off in a moment that did almost induce me to tears. Difficult to Why don't you tell me? You know where she is. I'm sure you 
just it. I don't know. You and I will have to find out what's happened to it. You don't know? Now come, finish your dinner. I don't want to. I'm not hungry. Listen, Jimmy, as soon as dinner's over, we'll go upstairs and talk. I want to go to my mother. You have to help me. If we go together, we'll find her. Jimmy, we don't even know where we would look for I do, I do. It's very close to here. There were fans and people, a whole lot of people. They took my mother away, and then they did that to me. Zimmerman is a director not really known or revered like some of his contemporaries for his style or form, but there is much in the search that shows his imprint on it. The voiceover used sporadically through the film is a character who never appears in the film. It is used purely for observation and scene setting, and it's a type of factual narration one might encounter in a newsreel. It's a voiceover that places the action, never making reference to the Holocaust or the very obvious reasons why the children are now orphans. The use of the voiceover throughout the film hints at a kind of documentary aesthetic to it, although its camera movements, lighting and careful, deliberate plotting are, of course, the total opposite of what Domenico is and supposed to be. However, the search feels like a document chronicling a time and place. The ruined city, the nod towards the newly founded UN and the UN agency, the UNRAA, which we see desperately trying to relocate the children, most of whom will head to Israel and Palestine or to reunite them with their families. Simim infuses the film with his political ideology. Carl's family are Czech. This is a deliberate by choice by Zimmerman writer Peter Veto as they wanted the Czechs to be a symbol of future European regeneration. And there's an altruism of Steve and his colleagues that these people are symbols of a better, more humane way of thinking and behaving. We know what the intentions of the Allies in the war was. It was to rebuild and improve what had come before. And it's a film that knows its audience and would be familiar with the war. All of its horrors, seen either firsthand through newsreels, newspaper photos and testimony of the survivors. And much of the horror comes through simply watching the children and their behaviour and understanding the way they're reacting the way they are. We know from eyewitness accounts that children in concentration camps were often treated by the guards with a kind of fake niceness. Sweets and reassuring laughs and hugs were given before the children were murdered, experimented on or forced into other hideous acts. At first, Zinnemann seems to understand this and as we first see the children coming on the trains, we're not entirely sure how they're going to be treated. Now we know as the film progresses that the, the adults in the film are kind and loving and generous, yet in these opening moments you wonder if the children are going to be shouted at like something out of Charles Dickens novels. They are brutalised, they cannot see the compassion in the adults, only the possibility of punishment or worse. At the dinner table they instinctively steal food and stand to attention when an adult walks past to prove they are not trying to conceal anything. Although we know that Nazis tattooed their victim, it's still jarring to see Karl's number on his arm. Indeed, in the present culture, there's a disposition to call anyone a Nazi, and it becomes a term so overused and so often taken out of context, its meaning, I fear, has become dangerously diluted. The recent riots in America saw an assortment of idiots claiming the storming of the Capitol building to be in the same calling it America's Crystal Night after the infamous attack on Jews and their business in Germany during the 30s. It was a profoundly wrong and dangerous comparison to make. That night, over 30,000 Jews were expelled from Germany, several thousand sent to concentration camps, and many killed. Yet there were clearly fascists at the capital riots, but there is no way an event that is even comparable. 
So when I saw the tattoo on Carl's arm, it still maintained a shock value. The idea that a human being can be tagged in such a way and that other humans can do such things to children is a horror I don't think will ever truly go away, nor should it. And more importantly, the unique horrors of the Holocaust should not be trivialised by the wanton use of the term fascist or Nazi. Zinnemann makes all this work subtly, never dwelling too long on the film's emotional moments. Rather cutting to a close-up, he simply cuts away from a scene altogether. It adds an urgency to what is unfolding. And of course, we are aware that Hannah is looking for Carl and that he is alive and that she is alive. We have the knowledge of this, even though she has been told that he's actually died. And yet again, the situation and the drama inherent in this scenario never feels forced, overly stagey or unnecessarily melodramatic. A recurring visual motif that's been used throughout the film is Carl walking toward a crowd of people and in one scene he moves through a group of women leaving a factory. The women move left to right, Carl right to left as he blocks the action with a fence in the foreground and there is a connection with the image we see in the presence of those in the past. In other films, even Shin's this, this could be people being forced into the, one of the concentration camps and even worse towards the gas chambers. We understand the protagonist's mental state through the mise and scent of the film, people being loaded onto trucks, fences, uniforms, often benign looking moments that harbour a sinister connotation for the children. The film's conclusion is one of the most moving I've seen in a long time, and the film has earned it, made it a different time in a different place. This could have been something far more cynical, far more tragic. The tragedy of the film is in the situation of the people, the destroyed landscapes, but above all, it has hope. It is a humanistic film that celebrates the inherent goodness of people and intentions that, that go beyond the self, and it actually suggests a future, a positive and a hopeful one, that something good come from from the shadows of the horrors of before in summary i love the search it's a feel-good film brilliantly made and it stayed with me for days after and in these covid afflicted times it's a gentle reminder there is hope out there and also and also that there is a plethora of truly great films to discover in these lockdown weeks so that's going to be it for this episode of the 24 frames cast okay for anyone interested in getting hold of the search it's actually on warner brothers archives label so I, 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 I'm assuming we obviously we don't have that in Britain but I'm assuming it's still available to order and I can certainly recommend sorting it I've also seen I think there's a copy of it floating around on YouTube so I might um, if I can find it I will uh, stick it in the show notes for the blog so many thanks for listening I'll be back in contact soon um, stay safe and I look forward to speaking to you again bye <laughs>